The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. This past fall, I was at the American Dietetic Association's annual meeting, and I went to a session on the demographics of the United States, which was absolutely fascinating. So I called Dr. Howard Hogan, who is the Associate Director for Demographic Programs at the U.S. Census Bureau, and I asked him if he'd be my guest today, and he graciously accepted. Welcome, Dr. Hogan. Thank you for inviting me. You presented some fascinating data about what the population trends were in the United States, and I wondered if you could explain a little bit first about what the U.S. Census is, you know, what it measures, and why it's important. Yes, the census is um, one of the foundations of, of, of the whole Constitution, and we go out every 10 years the way it, it's worked in the last several decades is, is we mail out questionnaires to every household, every housing unit in the country, and we ask them to uh, mail it back. And this time, nearly everybody did, and we thank them for that. If they don't mail it back, we go out and we knock on the doors. We ask a few simple questions. I think all your listeners or their family should have got a questionnaire about who's living there and their race and their age and their background, and we tabulate it up. It's, it's used to divide up uh, congressmen in, in the Congress and, uh, and for the foundation of the federal statistical system. What is the return rate on that survey? About 70% of the households mail back the questionnaire, but then the other 30%, we, we go out and we knock on the door and we knock on the door again. So we really work to try to get 100% of, of all the household, housing units and households in the country and uh, get an answer up from them. There had been some concerns. You know, there, there's always a group of the population that is reluctant to let the government in, right? Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that attitude? Well, we have, actually, especially in this sense, there's really good interviewers, and, and they're, they're persistent. We ask them to be polite, but they, they, they go to the door, and they try to explain the uh, importance of the census, that explain and, and that it's only just a, a few questions. Uh, obviously, some people absolutely refuse, in which case we try to get the information from the neighbors or whatever we can to get the best information. But we we don't give up until we can get uh, at least the number of people living there and, and something about their background. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to know, I know that on December 21st, the, the 2010 census counts were released, but really just what was released were the total population counts for the different states. What's coming well, a number of things are coming. The um, the next thing we do from the actual 210 census is we are going to publish the number of people uh, in every block of the United States, I mean, literally every block, how many people are living there, uh, their race, their origins, their ethnic origin, and whether they're uh, a voting age or not. And depending on, on which state you're in, the state legislator or, or or some commission will use that to divide up congressional districts. And, and that will be the basis for the uh, the next congressional election. Okay, so we're going to determine congressional districts, but we also determine things like money that's given to the different states to build hospitals and schools. 
So these are really critical numbers, is that correct? Uh, they really are. And uh, in understanding the importance of the 210 census, you have to remember that this is just one of the many things the census does. We also do the American Community Survey, where we're out there uh, almost every day of the year, year in, year out, asking more detailed questions in terms of education, uh, veteran status, uh, everything else that, together with the, the basic counts from the 210 census, this other information is used for giving out federal money, planning, planning schools, planning highways, uh, roads, just about everything. So the census, although very important and actually, you know, one of the, the, the few things in, in the Constitution that has to be done, uh, is only one of the most, one of the things the Census Bureau does in terms of providing information to, uh, not just governmental planners, but to all planners. So is the American Community Survey, is that separate from the census then? Well, yeah, it's done separately. The census is once every 10 years. It's, it's, it's a snapshot of America, what was happening on April 1 of, of in this case, uh, 2010. But we need to know what's happening in between, what's, what's happening in, in, in between the census. So we're out there just about every day asking these more detailed questions uh, that, that allow us to know what's happening between censuses. So who decides what questions are asked? The Census Bureau works with the other federal agencies and other users to determine the most important questions. Just about on the, on the 210 census, those 10 questions are really the minimum we need uh, to, to determine how many, to, to help the states define their congressional districts. The American Community Survey, we work mainly with other federal agencies to figure out what information they need to plan their programs, to guide their programs, to administer their programs. So uh, we work with uh, Veterans Affairs. We work with the highway transportation. We work with just about every uh, Centers for Disease Control, all these other agencies to figure out what information they need to help govern the country. I want to ask you about some of the questions that are asked in the American Community Survey, because I believe that those were probably the numbers and the statistics that you shared at the American Dietetic Association. Many of them, yes. And those are the ones that I found most fascinating. For example, the number of Americans who have health insurance today versus 10 years ago. Do you have those numbers in front of you? Because I took notes from that, from that meeting. I have in my notes that in 1987, 31 million Americans were without health insurance. And the, the number that I wrote down from 2009 is that 57.7 million Americans are without health insurance. Yeah, I, I think what's over the last few years right now, in terms of the total population, the number without health insurance is going up. I think uh, in 2009 it's about uh, 51 million, and that that. that trend has been generally going up. The, the good news, though, is the number of children uh, without health insurance has, has generally been going down over the last few decades and, and has fallen to about uh, 7.5 million. 7.5 million of chil children, children yes. don't have health insurance. Right. Okay. Now, I believe that you gave some explanations for this. One was the economic downturn. So as people lose jobs, they lose benefits. Any other comments? I know you're not allowed really to speculate about policy issues, but anything you, you can say about those numbers, which I find personally horrifying. 
We do know that looking over the, the last few decades that during recessions, and we just came out of a, of a pretty serious recession, that the number of people with health insurance tends to go up. So that's, that's definitely consistent with that. On the other hand, you know, that we, we have the, uh, the various federal programs to, to extend health insurance to children, the, the state children's health insurance program being the, the, the most important there, that has, for children at least, you know, lowered the number of children without health insurance. Mm-hmm. Now, do you look at any kind of hunger statistics, or is that through a different agency? We collect data on not really hunger, but on food um, insecurity. Food insecurity. Yes, we're called. We're, we've giving it. A, we're giving it a new name now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Food insecurity you, you, is is just you, you can't be sure uh, about about how much uh, food you're going to have. Right. Um, and that those numbers definitely have gone up in, in the last couple of years. About uh, uh, 15% of the population suffers uh, throughout the year, uh, to some extent, uh, food insecurity. Hmm. While uh, maybe a decade ago, you know, before the recession, it was it was around hovering around 10, 11%. Mm-hmm. So that number definitely has been drifting up with uh, with the recession, and and it tends to parallel what's going on in unemployment. Tends to parallel what's going on in in, in poverty. Those three measures tend to, in general terms, you know, follow each other. Right. You also shared some interesting information about how the population was changing both ethnically as well as how we were living differently. So, for example, you shared with us that the largest growth in the population is from the Hispanic section. And that really, when we think about the future faces of the United States, we're going to be a lot browner, aren't we? Well, the, certainly the, the, uh, of, of the major groups, the, the Hispanic population is, is growing the fastest. And, and there are other groups, not just, not just the Hispanic population that are contributing to our country, but we're getting uh, immigrants from Eastern Europe, we're getting immigrants from Africa, from, from the Caribbean. So certainly the, the, uh, from the Far East, the, the, the ethnic mix of this country is, is, is definitely changing. On the other hand, it's going to be several decades, many, many decades actually, before this country uh, is is what some people call a, a major majority minority. The the non Hispanic whites will pretty much continue to be the, the 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 largest group for for many decades to come. It's very interesting, Dr. Hogan, because I look at these differences in demographics and ethnicities and how that influences the food that we eat. And so, if you look at the kind of the trend predictors for the different years, you can see how different ethnic populations have influenced what we eat. For example, I'm sure you remember as a as a young person, it was kind of hard to find a taco. I, I can almost remember my first taco. Exactly. I, I was in high school when I had my first taco, and, and you know, graduating, graduating from high school. So, and now you think about all the different kinds of ethnic foods that are available to us, absolutely mirroring our population. Even the the grocery stores, you know, what kinds of foods you see available, you can almost predict the population of a community by what kinds of foods are sold in supermarkets. Indeed, and it's not just the, the, the growth, say, of the Hispanic population, but they're really, the, that population maybe a few decades ago was concentrated in a few gateway states. Sure. You know, California, Arizona, New York City. And um, as they've been, become part of America, they spread to, to many, many different communities. So you can go to, you know, areas in, in say, uh, small towns in Georgia, which is where my, my dad's folks are from, which, 
you know, a few decades ago would have had virtually no Hispanics, and now, you know, there's Hispanic restaurants and the Hispanic community there. Now, what explains that population shift? Is it the industry that brings them in? I know in the Midwest, where I'm based, if there's a meat processing plant, if there's a poultry producer, some of these large industrial farms tend to bring in immigrant populations to work what tend to be low-wage, unpleasant jobs. Is that what you're finding, too? Well, the, um, the immigrants tend to go where the jobs are. So, and, and, of course, the immigrants are, are very quite, quite diverse from, from, from people coming in to work in chicken processing plants or, or meat processing plants to, uh, you know, the, the, the Silicon Valley has, has lots and lots of uh, engineers from, from South Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going where the jobs are, uh, and, and if you're a software engineer, you go to where the, those jobs are, and if you uh, have lo- other skills, you might go to where the, the, the chickens are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. You also mentioned what's happening with households. So, for example, single-person households, I believe my notes say that they're increasing, as well as a doubling up of households. So when one person in the family loses the job, they'll move in with another family. We have noticed uh, uh, some doubling up as part of the, the, the most recent recession where in some of our surveys we're able to track just not just, you know, the, the, the husband and wife and child, but, but the child's wife and the grandchildren and people living together. And we have noticed that that has gone up recently. And we've also noticed that adult children living at home, the number of those have have gone up uh, in the last uh, nine years where there was a time where, where the, the say 18 to 24-year-olds, fewer in general, were, were living at home every as year to year went. But it, since the recession came, more of those have, have moved back. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And, of course, I always reflect back on what that means for food. And on the one hand, I almost think that it's nicer to be able to sit around the table with more of an extended family but when you think about the reasons why people are moving in, because of the economic downturn, it's a double-sided coin there. I mean, certainly in terms of uh, for people that enjoy cooking, having having more more people to cook for is, is always more fun. But of course, if you've got to pay for the food budget and, and you're on a limited budget, having a bigger family to, to, to feed is, is certainly a, it can be a challenge. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Dr. Howard Hogan. He is the Associate Director for Demographic Programs at the U.S. Census Bureau. I heard him speak at the American Dietetic Association meeting in Boston last fall and was absolutely fascinated. I'm kind of a statistical junkie and a demographic junkie anyway, so I find this information absolutely fascinating. I want to go back, if I might, Dr. Hogan, to some of the American Community Survey data. Uh, We talked a little bit about health insurance. We talked a little bit about hunger and economics. Tell me something. Are you finding any differences with regard to education? Are more people going to college or less people going to college? I think in general um, uh, more people are going to college. I don't have those data in front of me, but certainly um, if you include all all college in in terms of uh, Community colleges and others, yes, the number is going up. Not, not nothing recently and dramatically, but over time, it's definitely uh, a, a, an upward trend then there. Well, consumers can go, or our listeners can go to the American Community Survey website, right through mm-hmm. census.gov, www.census.gov, mm-hmm. and we can click on all of these different data sets. So, mm-hmm. when 
will all of these different components, the, the information that you've been gathering with this last American Community Survey, when will they be posted? They should be up there right now. If you go, if you go for example, to, to, as you said, to, to www.census.gov, and you click on the American Fact Finder, it's be a, you should see it right there on, on the left. You can type in you know, your, your town, your city, your zip code, and we'll, we'll print out you know, right there you know, facts about, about your neighborhood, about who's, who's living there, their, their age, their race, their uh, household size. All sorts of interesting stuff is very easy for you know, either your town or your zip code or whatever you're interested in. You mentioned that there are more stay-at-home moms, or at least that the number of stay-at-home moms increased till about 2006, and then it leveled off. Mm -hmm. Can you give any explanation as to that? I know that the whys are more difficult to come to, that you're mostly a data-collecting agency, but what explains these changes? Well, I think in general, what we're, we're looking to see if we, we can we can get the facts to, to back this up. But I think what may be happening is uh, during a recession, a, a, a mom who, who might have liked to stay home uh, with her children, if either her husband has got problems with the job or has been laid off or, or is worried about being laid off, she's not going to do that. She's going to keep working. Right. Uh, just for the security of the family, so that that may, might be part of the explanation about why the the number of, of stay-at-home moms has has uh, fallen in, in with uh, the, the last few years. It had been going up from about 2000 to about 2006, pretty steadily, and then with the recession, it, it's it's fallen, and, and and that's what I think maybe maybe going on. So, do you also collect unemployment data? We collect the unemployment data the way. Um, the, the unemployment is done. We, there's another federal agency called the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Right. And we work with them. We actually do the, the data collection. We're, we're the ones that knock on the doors and do the field work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they analyze the data and take responsibility for publishing it. So it's, it's a joint work between the Census Bureau and, and, and Bureau of Labor Statistics. You also had some really interesting information, like over half of 12 to 17-year-olds eat with their parents for more than five days a week. Yeah, we do. Um, one of the surveys we do is, is we actually follow uh, people over time, not just uh, talk to them once. We, we go out there and, and we ask, we follow the same family over, over a number of months and years to find out how the family is doing. And yeah, children, um, children under, under age six, uh, 80% of them uh, eat dinner with, with their parents every day of the week or eat, eat a meal with their parents every day of the week. But then, of course, when they get older, when they get into their teen years, you know, uh, 12 to 17, then that, that drops, drops considerably. We're down to about 60%. Oh, I see. What were some statistics that jumped out at you this year or in 2010 with these new numbers? Did you find any numbers that came back where you just sat in your chair and went, oh, my gosh, this is a, this is a big change? Well, I think the big the big changes. I mean, we've talked about some uh, some of them. The, the increased diversity of the country. Uh, the other big change, which I think if we expected, but but certainly was reinforced with the census, is is the movement of the people, the continued movement of the population to the south and the west. That uh, the, the the population of, of Texas, for example, expanded pretty good in the last uh, t- uh, ten years. The population, you know, went up. It went up almost twenty percent. The population of Nevada went up 35%. It's, uh, 
this this continual movement from to to the south and the west is 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 quite marked. Uh, the other interesting thing was for the first time since pretty much uh, 1850, California it hasn't ceased to grow, but it's no longer a leader in in, in population growth. And any explanation as to why certain states are growing where others are shrinking? No, except for just this there's general trend of, of, of people leaving the cold the cold of the, the north and the midwest and moving to the to the warmth of the south and the and, and the west. But no, we I we haven't really had a chance to analyze those data yet. Do you do any environmental studies or environmentally related issues? Not no, we don't do much of that at all. You know, I'm I'm curious when you say that the population shifts are going to the south and the west, and I think about water shortages, for example, and climate change, and I find that 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 shift to the south is almost counterintuitive to what we're seeing climatically. Well, you know, if if you look at the history of some of the southern states, and it, it, it really is dramatic if you look at Florida, that you can you can see almost the day that air conditioning was introduced. <laughs> The population of Florida was was quite quite small, especially southern Florida, until uh, until the 60s when when air conditioning was introduced, and uh, then it really shot up. So I think you can uh, attribute a lot of this to to, to air conditioning. Mm-hmm. Another statistic you shared with us at the Dietetic Association meeting had to do with smoking, mm-hmm. and how smoking numbers were significantly declining, and you brought up the idea that. Gosh, maybe some of our public health education efforts really are working. Yeah, the um, the data, uh, not not smoking in general, but in terms of uh, young young children smoking, ages 12 to 17, has, has been falling pretty dramatically in in the last uh, seven years for for both uh, boys and girls, from you know over 12 percent back in the early part of the decade to uh, to you know well under 10 percent now. So it's not it's not everybody, but it, it is these young young boys and girls, and I don't really know specifically which intervention has caused this, whether it's the advertising or or the uh, the taxes or 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 whatever. But it certainly is a, is a dramatic change, and, and what I think almost all Americans will be very happy with. Where are some of the pockets of the country where we can expect the highest cost of living? I, I don't I don't have that data right in front of me, but it's almost certainly some of the larger cities, uh, San Francisco or, or uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, some of the the larger cities out west, New York City. Uh, I don't have the specific numbers here, but cost of living tends to be high in the big cities and tends to be relatively low in in some of the places, either the smaller towns or or, or the, the the places that aren't aren't growing rapidly. Sure. How about food costs? Do you look at that, or is that just all lumped into the cost of living? We don't look at that specifically. We we do uh, work with uh, some of the other federal agencies, the uh, uh, Food Nutrition Service and and, and the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, to to get uh, information on food costs. And so we do we do help collect that for other agencies, but we don't really uh, have have that data ourselves. Let's get back to some of the items that you thought were most surprising with these numbers and what you enjoy looking at most. Getting into demography, we were talking before the show, and I said it's not something that a lot of kids think, hmm, when I grow up I want to be a demographer. But you must be swimming in fascinating information every day. What excites you about these numbers? Well, I think I'll give you one example. Is The baby boom really started in July of 1946. It's 
It, and, and if you look at the numbers, it just July 1946 happens to be pretty much nine months after after the end of the war. Uh, I don't know if that's totally coincidence or not. And so the um, the first baby boomers are going to be turning 65 soon, and, and uh, but they, they're young 65. But the nice thing about demography is is you know we all one of two things will happen to us in the next year. You know we'll either be a year older or we'll be dead. Um, and so you know. That's why it's good to be a year older. So we, we actually can sit down here and predict pretty well, you know, what's going to happen uh, in, in, in 10 years or, or 15 years or, or 20 years so that, you know, in 20 years, the first baby boomers are going to be turning 85. And uh, there'll be a lot of, uh, of, of these people. This, this is a group that's dominated America uh, in American society since the, uh, the Mickey Mouse Club in, in the early 50s and... and Right, right through the, the the Vietnam years, and right through the the, the boom of the employment, and and now they're going to dominate America in terms of uh, retirement, retirement needs, and and both the housing and recreational needs that come with retirement, but also the the health the health needs and the health issues that come with retirement. So the the neat thing about demography is you can actually can uh, foresee the future. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting because the the boomers. Not only was there a swelling in then nineteen forty six but then the boomers had children, and then their children had grandchildren. So are you seeing swells in the population uh, accordingly well there's you we really can't see what's 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 called the echo boom uh which which are the children the baby boomers uh that 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 now are um in their 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 near their thirties or their their so we 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 do we do very much can pick up the the, the baby boom and then sort of a, a a little bit of a lull and then their children. But by the time you get to the third generation, between just the fact that everybody has children at different ages and immigrants and whatever, you really can't pick up the, the sort of the third wave of that. Dr. Hogan, we just have a minute left, and I did want to give you a chance to leave our listeners with some information about your work or the numbers that you found. Well, I think the the main thing I'd like to say to your listeners is is, is thank you, thank you very much. The American public was really uh, supportive. That we think uh, the the census 210 was was just about as good as we could hope. We're, we're going to do a formal evaluation, and and it was good because the American public, you know, really cooperated. They mailed those questionnaires back. They worked with us, and looking forward to the American Community Survey and our other surveys is we really hope that that they will continue. Uh, Thinking about us, and, and when that interviewer knocks on the door, smiling as she or he will be, you know, to smile back and, and be as cooperative as, as, as you can. And that's it, is really to thank the American public. Well, I want to thank you for being the number cruncher that you are and making these numbers so interesting for us. If you're joining us or wondering who we've been speaking with, it's Dr. Howard Hogan, who is the Associate Director for Demographic Programs with the U.S. Census Bureau. And I want to thank you for your work, Dr. Hogan, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us. With a reminder that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And, Howard, if people want to access these data sets, the best website is? www.census.gov. It gives you the data and more. Great. Thank you again so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me.